mention video game and the simple 8-bit melodies of Super Mario Brothers may come to mind. But modern compositions for gaming have moved into the mainstream. This year, for the first time, a video game score is up for a Grammy Award. That's the score to the PlayStation 3 game Journey by Austin Wintory. A 28-year-old composer based in Los Angeles, his music will go head-to-head with film scores by Howard Shore, Hans Zimmer, and John Williams in the category Best Score Soundtrack for Visual Media. In a moment, we will hear how video game scores are playing with symphony orchestras and vice versa. First, on the phone is Austin Wintory. Welcome. Thank you. So how surprised were you by this Grammy nomination? Well, you know, it's been over two months now, and I still haven't come up with a good answer to that because I think I'm still kind of in the, the blast radius of it. It's really kind of inexplicable to me. Like just now, hearing you, hearing you name the other nominees, That's every sort time of I hear that, the it, pantheon kind of, of... out-of-body out of <laughs> thing where I think surely they're talking about somebody else. So can you give a 25-word or less description of the game journey? <laughs> well, I can give you two-word that probably summarizes more than I could say in 25, which is simply Joseph Campbell. Ah. Um, it is very much a distillation of his you know, notion of the monomyth, you know, the archetypal hero's journey mythology that he wrote about in The Hero of a Thousand Faces, in which virtually every script and every story and everything is either unintentionally draw- drawing from or deliberately drawing from. And so it was the idea of trying to basically summarize the human experience in a video game, which is off- awfully lofty sounding. <laughs> but So how do you go about composing a score for something lofty like that? <laughs> Any game presents certain challenges from a logistical standpoint, because it's there's no real corollaries to those challenges in writing a concert piece or a, uh, or a film score or working on an album or anything like that because of this X factor of interactivity. And we can talk about that later if it comes up. But as far as just getting the kind of emotional idea and the aesthetic of it, it was quite hard. I mean, I worked on it for three years. And so it was a ton of reiteration and just throwing out, you know, mountains of terrible ideas. You know, there's no dialogue at any point ever in the game, and there's, the sound design is quite subtle by and large, and so the music is essentially the only thing you hear for the entire duration of the game. So I had, I had the role of being like the narrator of the sorts. So, uh, you know, the music could have swayed it a lot of different directions, and so it was kind of like the simultaneous process of trying to really proactively create something while also trying to really avoid other things, like... You know, the game is in a desert setting, so it was immediately like, first thing to take off the list is we don't want any kind of Arabic quality to the music or trying to somehow, like, peg it with this cliche notion of what, quote, the desert sounds like, because it's ridiculously shallow, you know, that's not summarizing anything, you know, that we wanted to make it sort of cultureless, because the game is all metaphor, and so it's actually quite difficult to write music like that, because all music comes from a culture, <laughs> and so to try to write something which feels universal but isn't just bland Uh, you know and again i I have no way of knowing if i actually succeeded any of these things this was just the goal it sounds like an enormous challenge did you work hand in hand with the game creators yeah no that and and for the main reason that the the game aspires to be kind of like a poem in the sense that most games i would liken to more of a novel 
you know, most games take 10, 20, 30, 40, sometimes more hours to go through start to finish, or sometimes they, they have no end. They're just kind of an environment. So this game went for kind of the opposite. And you think of a uh, haiku, for example. There isn't one letter wasted in a haiku. It only takes two hours to do. It's like, it's like a film-length experience. So there could be no filler because there's, you know, it's over by video game standards quite fast. You know, when I tell people I worked on it for three years, they assume I must have written like nine hours of music, and it's not even, you know, it's less than an hour. It just had to be the right hour, <laughs> and so, you know. So. You did allude to the, the fact that a film has a linear narrative from point A to point Z, and there's only one way that it goes, but with a game... It can go in any number of different ways. How did you deal with writing in that kind of way? Well, fortunately, it, hadn't, it wasn't the first game I ever worked on. And so I had already gotten my feet wet with the notion of interactive music because there's a lot of different ways to approach it. And what's so exciting about it fundamentally, which is you know, kind of what most excites me about games in general, is that there's, there's no givens. It's such an infant, infantile industry and concept that uh, there are no kind of um, set means or default kind of approaches to writing interactive music. And so each time you do it, it's kind of reinventing the wheel from the ground up, especially because the technology used to achieve it changes constantly. And so even if you were to try to kind of have a standardized approach, you'd be using all different software and tools on this game than you did on the last one, probably, or at least new versions. For example, say, if this dwarf pops up out of this hole, you hear this music, or if that thing slides down that chute, you hear that music? It can sometimes. That, that gets, you know, the term that you would use for something like that is granular, where you start making the music, you start breaking the music down into really small pieces that you can attach to little one-off events. You know, my, my kind of fantasy when I was starting on it was to say, Imagine you hooked up a, a little, like a computer, to your TV while you're playing the game, and it was recording what was on your screen. So everything that you do is being recorded as just like a video file, so that you could go back later and watch it as just a piece of linear footage. Now, you playing the game was a nonlinear experience, but going back and watching that playback later is obviously now a, a set event. My goal was that going back and watching it later, it should look as though the music was scored to that footage as a film score, like perfectly in step with everything, except that 100 players, each playing differently, would all have that experience. Okay, so now I've got to ask you the Rodney Dangerfield question. It took <laughs> decades for, quote-unquote, serious composers to get respect for writing film scores. Do composers of video games still have a stigma attached to writing video games, or are you now getting respect for doing this, especially with a Grammy nomination? You know, everyone has an opinion on that. It's, I mean, there's still people that look down on film scores. I say if it was good enough for Copeland and Bernstein and Shostakovich and Prokofiev, I'm on board with it. One of those things that kind of helps break those stigmas is inevitably within the classical community when a composer does a film score and writes something genuinely great. I mean, obviously a terrific recent example, relatively recent, was John Corleano doing The Red Violin, which is his third of four total film scores that he has written. And so when moments like that happen it, for that community, for the more concert music-oriented community, that's a, a kind of a validating thing. And no composer like a John Corleano has 
worked in video games. So in that sense, I suppose there's still those out there who see it as somehow lesser or somehow more fill in whatever blank equals that stigma. Uh, but there are, I mean, Laura Cartman, for example, is a wonderful composer who is extremely active in the concert music community and constantly doing orchestral works and, and choral commissions and things like that. And she's also very active in film scoring and video game scoring. And, and to me, she's a great example of, of what I think of as, as a quintessentially 21st century composer, where for the longest time we were always defined by the medium instead of by our music in the abstract. And to me, what I love is you know, nowadays in the 21st century, like everybody has an iPod or some equivalent that has probably every style of music ever, like represented in some form or another on there. Okay, so, so I love that. Can I just ask you the filthy lucre question? What's the pay scale like for writing a video game as opposed to a film score? Uh, well, as with film scores, it's extremely widely varying, you know, because obviously there are some games that are the equivalent to giant Hollywood blockbusters that have $100 million budgets and then, you know, another $50 million marketing budget and all that, where they're, they're huge undertakings. So, you know, there can be composer deals uh, that are analogous to films at that level. I mean, at the very highest level, if you're Hans Zimmer scoring the new Batman with Chris Nolan, there isn't quite the equivalent to that in games at this point, uh, where, you know, you're talking about uh, multi-million dollars in overall music budgets. Uh, but it's really not that far behind it. But on the flip side, there's also a thriving and incredibly uh, invigorating uh, independent game scene as there is independent film scene. And as in both, someone could approach you and say, here's a game I'm doing, what do you think? And you look at it and you say, you know, this is the most evocative and incredible thing I ever saw in my life, you know. And then when this conversation circles around to, well, you know, what kind of budget to have. They say, oh, yeah, about that. I will totally buy you dinner uh, when I see you next, you know, and it's that kind of thing. But, you know, that's one of those, everything is always negotiable. You say, well, tell you what, if you give me X percent of how much the game sells, we'll call it a wash, you know. And every, so, in other words, everything is, everything is negotiable as with, as with film or, you know, concert. I, mean, I will say the, the business structure of games is quite different from films. You know, there's a lot of royalty and kind of ancillary markets in the film and television worlds where, you know, if you, if you take a pay cut up front, for example, there could be ASCAP or BMI royalties that take care of you for the rest of your life, potentially, if it's a hit. Games have no such back-end stream like that. It's a very front-loaded uh, industry, and that may change as time goes on, but as of right now, it's based on, you know, once someone buys the game, the transaction's over. There isn't repackaging and airing it on cable <laughs> and re-releasing right. you know, special editions and that kind of stuff generally doesn't exist like it does for film and games. Austin Wintry is the composer of the score for Journey, which is up for a Grammy Award on February 10th. So just what can the classical music world learn from the success of video game music? To discuss this further, I've got two people on the line, Dan Visconti, a composer and writer who has covered this for Symphony Magazine, and Tanner Smith, a program director at the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. This June, the Atlanta Symphony will present a concert of music from the game Final Fantasy for the second time. Dan, I'm going to ask you. Austin told us about how video game music is now getting more respect among composers. How about with symphony orchestras? Well, you know, I think it's really interesting to see that, um, especially through the Pops concert format, there have been 
you know, this huge influx of video game music and also music from nature documentaries like Blue Planet. And I think what's the driving factor here is that, you know, we have a generation now that is coming to experience orchestra music for the first time in unexpected places. A lot of times they're hearing orchestra music they love that's synced to a documentary, or in this case, a video game. So I think that, you know, this is reflective of the new ways that we're coming to enjoy music, and I think that it's a very smart way for orchestras to tap into that in terms of getting that audience to come to the next step and to enjoy that music in a different context and perhaps one that's more squarely focused on the music rather than the accompanying visual experience. Now, um, you, course, you know the music in context. I understand you have played the video game journey. Why do you think it's been so successful? Why the Grammy for this score? Well, I mean, in addition to Austin Winter being a really fantastic composer, I think it's uh, a game in which the gaming element and the music work together almost like an opera. I think you were discussing with Austin some of the techniques that he used to compose, and I think what's great is that he doesn't stick to just one technique and hammer it over your head, is that he's really versed in a variety of approaches to stuff, and it it makes the game extremely rich. Uh, I also think that there's something very understated about Journey. It's not a game where you rack up points or you kill or hurt anything or are hurt by anything else. Uh, It's a game that celebrates values of community and this kind of sense of wonder about your environment. And anyway, these are qualities that I think are very rare in many other video games. So I think that Austin and the creators of Journey are plumbing a really interesting new kind of emotional experience that is technically a video game, but this I guess, more art-like than game-like in certain ways. Tanner, this June is the second time that the Atlanta Symphony is going to be doing a program of music from the game Final Fantasy. What made you guys decide to bring this back? Well, we presented this show two years ago. We did two performances, and both performances were, were basically sold out. We had huge demand from people around the region, uh, as well as we, we actually experienced a, a group of people who came from Argentina specifically to see this performance. With from the Argentina to Atlanta. Absolutely. Just for that. Just for this show, or at least that's what they told me. So before we brought in Nobu Uematsu, who is the composer for uh, the majority of the Final Fantasy video game scores. And we flew him in from Japan specifically to be in attendance at the show and uh, make a slight appearance, but do a do a meet and greet afterwards. And the the demand for the meet and greet was overwhelming. I think the meet and greet lasted two and a half, three hours. So bring bring it back for an encore performance only made sense in our eyes. Dan, in your article, you wrote that the score for the game Medal of Honor Warfighter has over a hundred minutes of music in it. You think people are surprised by how much music goes into these video games? Well, it's interesting because I think music in film and video games is often felt rather than you know directly perceived as the center of attention. So a lot of times people are listening to music and it's affecting them and they're completely unaware that there's music going on. And often if somebody has deftly scored the situation, that's the effect. But I think it's very interesting to see how music has become such an important element of video games and especially orchestral music, because back in the uh, the early days, of course, Atari and early Nintendo, the first Final Fantasy game came out for the 8-bit Nintendo Entertainment System, which had the Mario first three Mario games on it, and, you know, very kind of blips and boops. And, of course, there was a period before it was possible to really record and sync orchestral recordings with video games when there were still electronic synth soundtracks, but composers like 
Uematsu in the Final Fantasy games were really trying to stretch those electronic sounds and imitate a grand orchestral texture. I think Final Fantasy IV was the first game that uses electronic sounds to really mimic the sound of an orchestra with strings, brass, and the rudimentary kind of percussion section. So I think it's been just fascinating to watch this growth and to see um, games mature in terms of having even more sonic possibilities, and I think that only makes them more immersive and attractive to listeners. For somebody, a listener who's not familiar with these games, a Final Fantasy game would be a lot like if somebody made... J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings into a video game. It's like a grand, epic quest with lots of characters in a really immersive environment. So a lot of what game music is for is, is the same things that opera music or film music for, um, often creating a little leitmotif or an identifying melodic tag that represents a certain feeling or represents a character. You know, I think that in addition to the sound becoming more rich, that the possibilities for scoring in increasingly complex ways are increasing. And I think when games like Journey appear, I think it raises the bar for everyone, including the more mainstream games. So I hope that this is the beginning of a, a trend in which video games undergo a transformation similar to film during the first part of last century. Tanner, when an audience comes to see a concert like yours at the Atlanta Symphony, what does that audience get? What do they see along with hearing the score to Final Fantasy? Well, uh, along with hearing the score that the orchestra plays live, uh, we, have a, we have a large video screen that projects images from the game. So not only is there the audio component where you're, you're actually hearing these live instruments, this grand, rich orchestra performing these wonderful pieces, but you're also watching moments from the video games that have the actual imagery that goes along with it. So if this is a score to something that's basically not linear, how do you create a linear experience out of this? It's kind of interesting. We don't necessarily pick one of the Final Fantasy games and perform the whole thing. Our experience is to try to make it, we try to pick and choose pieces from the entire catalog that line up in such a way that, that create a personal experience for that listener. So for instance, we've got Susan Calloway is going to come in, and she's going to sing four to six pieces in this program. She's going to actually sing those four pieces that we selected because they made sense to fit within the grand scheme of the of the evening. There's also a, a, a mini opera that Nobu Uematsu wrote for the Final Fantasy game, so that's actually going to plug in as well. And so what we're trying to do is create an experience that starts and, and takes the patron on a journey, just like they would through the game. So who are the patrons? Who, what is the audience at these concerts? Mainly teenage boys or grown-up teenage boys? <laughs> it absolutely is. It, it's as young as the, the youngest person who can pick up a video game controller and play to, I mean, you know, there were, there were people in their 60s. I mean, it, it really appeals to all natures. These video games have been out for years. So, you know, there's a huge audience there. There's, it's not just males. It's not just teenagers. It, it really appeals to females. It, appeal, it appeals to anyone who, who has an interest in, in, in these video games. Dan, have you ever been to a concert like this? Do people come dressed up as characters from the game? Yes, you know, and that, that dressing up as uh, characters or, or cosplay, I think, is a really big element of fandom for Final Fantasy games and a lot of video games in general. But people just love to dress up as their favorite characters and to, as you said, relive those moments. And I've been to a couple performances um, at the National Symphony Orchestra of video games live and also play a video game symphony and the previous uh, Dear Friends Final Fantasy show. So there's several companies that have taken 
different permutations of the Final Fantasy canon around. And I think it's it's always exciting to see how kind of um, just going through kind of a greatest hits of some of fans' favorite scenes and moments with some of the most memorable music in them just evokes all kinds of memories and often gets people interested into coming to other symphony concerts. And of course, it might be going too far to say that everyone who comes to one of these concerts is suddenly turned on to Beethoven, but I think that it, it definitely is an enriching experience and one that allows them to come into contact with things they originally loved in video games in a new way and hopefully, you know, leads them into other areas as well. Well, I was going to I was going to ask about that. Is there marketing that goes on at these concerts to try and lure video game audiences at orchestra concerts to come to say here Brahms? Absolutely. We we we're trying to to during these shows we're, what we're trying to do is have the personal experience for the patron to experience and to experience the 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 orchestra in a way that that they've in a different context in a way that they haven't seen it before. And you know some of these patrons may or may not have ever seen an orchestra play live, but what we want to do is give them that experience that maybe it's their maybe it's their first time, so it's that initial experience when they come in and they say, "Wow, this isn't just a band. this is a fantastic orchestra playing this incredibly rich music, and you know maybe that leads them into the next phase of well, there's this other Brahms or or Beethoven or whatever it might be show that's coming up." that seems interesting. It sounds like something that I might want to check out. We absolutely market uh, during the show to that audience. And if they come back to hear Beethoven or Brahms, are they ever disappointed that there's no great visuals, that (laughs) there's only, and I'm using that in quotation marks, the orchestra sitting there playing on stage? We actually offer theater of a concert performances, which have uh, elaborate stage sets, video elements, as well as just the standard, you know, orchestra on stage experiences. So we do many of the current films, like for instance, The Matrix. We presented The Matrix a few uh, a few months back, and it was the entire film with the orchestra playing the score. So you know, that's a, it's a direct tie into that to that audience. Dan, what is your perception of bringing the video game audience to a regular symphony concert? I think about during. Uh, Disney's great Fantasia, that there's a great part of the Bach Toccata that just features the angles of bows moving around. The so soundtrack, could, right. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So, I mean, there's, the a, there's a great visual element to just playing acoustic live performance. And I think, it, I, I would hope that, you know, there's a possibility of people becoming interested in that too, just by having that pivot chord, if you will, to come into and enjoy a Final Fantasy game. And I think that what, you know, innovative concerts that blend visuals with music like Tanner's describing are really great because the ante for excitement has just been so upped in an age when there's video games and blockbuster movies. Now, the great operas of the 18th and 19th century didn't have to contend with that. So I think one of the ways um, that orchestras can stay relevant in these presentations is not by copying all these things, but just to mainly be engaging the same level of sensory stimulation that a lot of interested listeners and movie watchers, video game players are accustomed to already. Is this going to be enough to dig orchestras out of their financial holes, concerts like this? All the orchestras that are in trouble these days? I think it's absolutely a start to being innovative and creative and ways to bring new audiences in to to, to see the, the, the orchestral experience. And Dan? I think that for sure it's definitely something that is engaging people on something that they feel is relevant to their life and their experience. And I think that's one of the biggest hurdles to overcome in the appreciation of of classical music. And I feel that now we're starting to get somewhere where 
there's some relation with something on a concert that somebody could feel, hey, I know that, or that's something meaningful to me. And I think until that happens, people are unlikely to have the possibility of forming those deeper relations. And I think this is a great start and a wonderful tool in our arsenal to try to get people more interested and engaged in orchestra concerts. So has the world of video games produced a masterpiece yet? Should we be playing this music on WQXR? Well, I have to say uh, I, I highly recommend uh, Austin Wintry's score for Journey. It's fantastic. Uh, the soundtrack is available for purchase and download on iTunes, and it has some wonderful moments in it, just wonderful scoring. I think it's a really great composition in itself that you can be listened to and enjoyed, but I think it's like an opera. It's really an experience that's enriched by seeing this haunting landscape unfold, and it's a very poetic game, almost like an interactive fable, and I think that there's a new type of art form that's arising that really can only be experienced by playing it kind of as an interactive movie or cinematic experience, and I'm excited to see if this develops into a more mainstream kind of experience that becomes more widespread. Our guests have been Dan Visconti, a composer and writer whose article in Symphony Magazine is linked on our website, wqxr.org, and Tanner Smith from the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks very much. Brian Wise is our producer, and Timothy Einenkel was our engineer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening.